Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh yeah! It's a weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Hello, everyone. My name is Craig Asano, the founder and CEO of NCFA Canada. Welcome you to Season 4, Episode 56 of FinTech Fridays, a weekly podcast brought to you by NCFA and Partners, where we sit down with incredible people in the FinTech and funding community around the globe, talk about trends, product innovations, developments, and challenges. Today, we have an absolute legend joining us from the rewards-based crowdfunding space, I'd like to introduce Zach Smith. He's the CEO and co-founder of Funded Today. Some of you may have remember him from keynoting at the 2017 Canadian Crowd Finance Summit in Toronto. Uh, that was a, an illuminating talk. We also have that hosted somewhere on NCFA's uh, YouTube channel. I think Funded Today may have also that hosted. But Funded Today is the world's most successful crowdfunding agency in the past seven years, Funded Today has cumulatively raised a whopping $426 million. Yes, I said that they're approaching uh, and counting and growing towards half a billion dollars. That will be a day. Uh, they've worked with 4,000 plus crowdfunding campaigns around the globe, and they were ranked in 2018 uh, one of the fastest, I think the 27th fastest privately held company in the U.S. on the prestigious 500 list, number two in Utah, where they hail. Chances are, if you have seen a monstrous, successful rewards-based crowdfunding campaign, whether it's on Kick or Indiegogo, Zach Smith and the team and his partner at Funded Today have probably been the driving factor behind its success. So with that introduction, uh, Zach, I'd like to get into the uh, podcast. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Craig. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. It's nice to kind of be back and talking to some Canadians. I spent a couple of years of my life in Toronto, so it's always good to give back to that community. Two years? Did I, <laughs> I, I mess that? What were you doing in Toronto for two years? I was just doing a service mission for my church. So you are a, a back man when I was a kid. <laughs> you, you're a man of many talents. I can tell you because I've got a long bio. It's and I I only read a fraction of it. Uh, you even speak Mandarin Chinese. It says here you're I do. fluent. You're yeah. fluent. How did that come about? I was also in Canada, so another wonderful thing the country of Canada has given back to me. Incredible. Well, you're, you know, for the listeners here at FinTech Friday, Zach is also uh, a, a lifelong learner. He's involved with uh, angel investing, lending. He's an avid athlete. He's involved with just a hand, like a ton of different sports, and he's a sought-after speaker. So we're we're thrilled to have you here today, uh, Zach. And want to kick things off by just, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself, what it's like to be a serial entrepreneur. How did you first become an entrepreneur? Yeah. So it, it's kind of how I introduce myself. Anytime somebody says, hey, Zach, what do you do? I say, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Now, not a serial killer, none of that Netflix, how to make a murder stuff or anything. But for me, a serial entrepreneur is really simple. You know, it, It's an individual who's always working, but what looks like work to others feels like play to her or him. And rather than renting out time as an employee, they run small businesses, and then they assume all the risks and rewards of those ventures. And so for me, being a serial entrepreneur is kind of intrinsically what it means to be me. I mean, I believe in I, – I believe everything about entrepreneurship is kind of like – if you had to say, who's Zach Smith? 
serial entrepreneur is kind of what I want to be associated with my name. So that's your legacy. eh? Well, what kind of businesses as a serial entrepreneur are you naturally gravitate towards? Oh, I mean, sorry, I've got a little bit of a cough going on here, but basically I I own 17 different businesses at this point in time. So things have transpired quite a bit, even in just the last little while. So it, it ranges for me from a diesel mechanic repair shop out of my hometown of Ogden, Utah to a gold and silver mint, a privately held mint that makes gold and silver coins and bars and sells them all around the world. And then of course, funded today, which is, you know, in some ways, probably still my favorite, most exciting company. I, I own a construction company. We're building a lot of single family homes. So it, it varies quite a bit. What am I attracted to? I think it would be pivoting and making the right move at the right time to whatever business I think makes the most sense. When we talk about heavy inflation, Historically, gold and silver have been pretty good for that. When we talk about real estate, America has seen 20 to 29% increase in prices over the last couple of years in terms of appreciation of home value. So I'm always kind of keeping attention to trends and I'm trying to attach myself to those trends to capitalize. And I did that with crowdfunding too. Nearly a decade ago with Funded Today, I was the very first. I was early on with email marketing before that was even a thing. I was very early on with Facebook advertising. I was early with Instagram advertising. I've always kind of been an early adopter, not the earliest adopter, but early before in terms of applicability, being able to apply these things to whatever needs to be applied to take advantage of that trend while it's hot. And when you do that, because of scalability and because of like the connectedness of the world, you can achieve like exponential astronomical results in a very short period of time across all those industries that I mentioned. That's incredible. Is there a social bent to some, I mean, I get the economic pursuits and being surfing the edge of the curve, taking the risks, building and scaling. I mean, pivoting to actually how funded today, the story of how it was formed and how it evolved to the world's most successful or the world's largest, however you want to describe it, 426 million is a big deal. How, what it was the journey like, How, how did it go? Yeah. Uh, it's a great story. And and as I and, and you'll have to reference back to that uh, presentation that I gave at the Canadian Crowdfinance Summit as well. But but very briefly, the story of Funded Today started actually with a pivot, believe it or not. So that's a good that's a good segue. Essentially, I was I was operating like an attorney or an accountant. I was billing on retainer and I had a client from my hometown reach out to me and say, hey, Zach, I can't pay you 500 bucks an hour or, or whatever it was I was charging at the time. But have you heard of this thing called Kickstarter? Have you heard of this thing called Indiegogo? I'd like you to take my invention. And she was a seamstress. She had just made this little running pouch called the Rue Sport and and had put it all together and had like created a a prototype or two just by sewing it up. And it's essentially a wallet that attaches to your waistband with magnets and holds your car, your keys, credit card, goo energies. If you're like a marathon runner, things like that. And it doesn't bounce, doesn't chafe. So it, it was a cool little product. And she's like, I wear it and I run 20 marathons a year or something. I'm like, oh, wow, crazy. She's like, I can't pay you your fee, but I could pay you a percentage of all the money you raise. And I actually hadn't heard of crowdfunding because I was doing email marketing, e-commerce setup, early stage stuff like that when that was still just kind of catching on before before even like ClickFunnels and, and, and Shopify and things like that became huge. And so I said, okay, let's give it a try. And so 35 days later for this particular product, we launched it on Kickstarter. We made a video, we designed a page we raised them $115,111 or something like that. And that was crazy. Six figures in 30 days kind of thing. And suddenly 
everybody was knocking down our doors and say, hey, how did you raise money for this crazy little wallet invention? We want you to raise money for our little widget. We want you to raise money for our new thing. And one thing led to another because of the scalability, because of the little formulas and secrets that we had kind of figured out before everybody else, we were raising money like nobody else could, and no one really knew how we were doing it. Essentially, it was through lookalike audiences and Facebook advertising and email marketing, some of those other things I was doing in my other company, but I had applied it across a very hot and growing industry at the time, crowdfunding, rewards-based crowdfunding specifically, and then it just went crazy from there, to put it mildly, and it still has. I mean, $426 million now in counting as of just a couple of days ago. You can follow the timer on our website. We keep it updated at funded.today if you ever want to refresh the page. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Anyway. That, that, that's kind of how it went. We had a lot of stories and things along the way that, that led to that, but it was one story like that, thousands of people knocking down our doors and suddenly me being like, oh, I guess there's something here. Truth be told, I didn't even immediately start the business funded today. I uh, was working on some things and, and still going back to my business after I had raised the money for the Rue Sport product. And because of so many people reaching out to me, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I better do something with this. So it wasn't as intuitive as you'd think that I was oh, raise a bunch of money. Oh, let's go do this a bunch more times. It was more everybody reaching out to me and me trying and trying and trying and seeing success after success after success, and then starting a business, which worked out kind of cool. And that's how you should find your market, by the way. It was an easy lesson to learn because the customers were coming to me. I didn't have to do any outreach. For our first thousand clients, they all hired us essentially. That's the beauty of, of crowdfunding. There's just that social networking element. And yep. You know, how, how, so how big, uh, obviously, I, I know that the, the funding meter and since the Canadian Crowdfinance Summit in 2017, I believe it was, uh, I think you were at 126 million around there, maybe 150 okay. million. So you, you've tripled it since then. Yeah. So talk to, like this, this channel um, talks about startups, talks about scale-ups. What was the, the trajectory? I mean, obviously it was explosive, but how did you operationalize it? Did you, are, are you managing a, a large team now? And I know you've got yeah. a partner, Thomas, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's actually very insightful that you have those numbers. So 2018 turned out to be funded today's best year ever. And that year we were the second fastest growing privately held company in America. And we made the prestigious Inc. 5000 list. And so it's cool to hear you kind of say those numbers. And I'm like, huh, okay, where did we go? How did we get there? It makes sense because 2018 ended up being our, our, our biggest year at that period of time. So anyway, that, the scalability just kept going and going and going. And then I think we had a little bit of a plateau. And I think we've kind of reached a point where everybody knows about us. And so unless – we're tied to a platform. We're tied to Kickstarter. We're tied to Indiegogo. We're tied to rewards-based crowdfunding. So whatever platforms work on there – we're tied to that, and we can only grow as big as new inventors and inventions grow, essentially, which is one of the limiting factors of our market. Like, hey, Zach, why, is, why isn't this a billion-dollar company? Well, because there's not 100,000 new inventions. There's two to 5,000 a month kind of thing, you know, and there used to be eight to 9,000 a month, so it's kind of tapered off over the last couple of years as far as new people, average inventions on the platform. So we grew, we grew pretty quickly. I think at our high, we had 70-plus employees. Um, now we've made it a little bit more of a smaller team. We've become more efficient. We've systematized lots of different things. And so by, by being systemized, it's actually good or bad. It's made us be able to be more efficient with less employees, but still deliver good results. So 
I've kind of liked that. Thomas is actually, uh, I, I would call him a serial entrepreneur as well. And he has taken on a, a couple different businesses. He, he's essentially going after spammers with his, with his law degree. And he's got a pretty interesting enterprise. And I don't know how much I can share about everything that he's doing because he's, he's got some pretty big cases, but he, he's working against, against <laughs> litigating against some pretty big clients around the world to try to make it so you don't get so many spam phone calls and, and fixing that industry. So that's he's a huge doing, problem. That yeah. He's, he's doing some problem. pretty cool stuff there. I, I, you know, my, my dad uh, got a call and they prey on seniors. He's 80 this year. And mm-hmm. basically they, they want to get access to your computer, drop a widget of code and then uh, key loggers and then drain your bank. It is. Oh, yeah. So somebody's got to tackle it. I'm glad Tom's it, doing if it. If you want information on that, if anybody listening, or if you, if you reach out to Craig, let me know and I'll connect you directly to Thomas. He's got a, he's got an app. He's got a, a pretty efficient team and, uh, full transparency. He has won some lawsuits for me when I was a beta tester where I would just turn people in who were spamming and, and he took care of it. So it, it's very effective and I made money on it too. So surprising how good it worked. <laughs> wow. I'll have to look into that. But well, one thing you were just talking about when we were talking about scaling and the journey and it's intricately linked to these platforms. So Kickstarter, we all remember when they passed your first billion and, and it, it exploded yep. and 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 I'm thinking back to the date 2017. You guys had a a, a blow off top 2018. Yep. Um, we're now 2022. What is happening on Kickstarter and Indiegogo? And are there competitors, real competitors? And what is that uh, impact to funded today's future? What do you think? What's the strategy? Yeah, great question. So uh, essentially, yes, because of our success, just like you see across every industry whether you look at e-commerce, social media marketing, all those types of things, there's thousands of different people in there. And it's probably hard to distinguish who is actually the best when you say, who's the best at email marketing? Who's the best at social media marketing? Who's the best agency? Who's the best coach for speakers or clients if you want to do something there? Who's the best person that can help you in your personal weight loss or fitness journey? A lot of those things have become so saturated. It's very hard to stand out. We, we still stand out at Funded Today as far as crowdfunding goes, but we do have lots of competitors. But over the last three years, I would say there's only maybe two or three that have been able to maybe make it through COVID or whatever other changes there were in the market as far as, as far as that goes. But for a time, especially in 17, 18, 19, 20, those four years, I swear there was like 50 new companies that popped up and they were kind of doing like the Walmart model where they would come in and charge very little and, you know, maybe not deliver that good of results, but they would do something. And it, and it did hurt us in the sense that we couldn't be like the apple of the market and charge high prices for great results. We had to actually, meet some of those demands and things. And then the industry has changed a bunch as well. In terms of Facebook marketing, it's not nearly what it used to be as far as knowing what to do and how to do it. And it requires way more effort and way more, which is good. And that's why we've been able to stand the test of time too. All of these things have been good for us because now all of those competitors, I don't, I don't know if they died or they just moved on to something else or what. And then we've gotten really good at email marketing. Believe it or not, email marketing is still incredibly efficient and I remember just last year, probably two or three months ago, we raised one hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars for just one product, and you know, in their thirty-day period, just on email marketing. And so, very, very, very effective. Imagine if you could send out emails and essentially make that much money from two or three emails. So we've built up massive lists of audiences that way, and we nurture them and take care of them, and just follow all the principles of a good, good email hygiene and good email marketing, and and that has done well too. So in the past five years, as far as Kickstarter goes. Biggest change I've seen is less products because 
it, same thing for Kickstarter. So inventors saw the same thing. They would see us raise a million dollars for a wallet, $2 million for smart luggage, and then 50 other wallets and smart luggage would pop up. And so Kickstarter backers, I think, got savvy and said, wait a sec, there can't be this many wallets. There can't be this <laughs> much smart luggage because everybody was trying to do the same thing. Oh, this agency's doing re- really well. Let's start an agency. Oh, this product's doing really well. Let's launch a product. And so I think they got saturated with products. And I think some of those products didn't do so well. And then I think a lot of products had issues with fulfillment and delivering and then compound that with all the worldwide supply chain issues and COVID and everything else. And I think that hurt a lot of things. People, I mean, Amazon is such a behemoth and they can do the one or two day shipping. And so some people will just wait. But the problem with waiting is then new ideas and products can't be brought to life because these people are going to crowdfunding because they don't have money and they need to make money to bring these products to life. And so when you add all of those things together, it makes it interesting. And then probably the biggest change for crowdfunding has been board games board games and those types of things, uh, Dungeon and Dragons type stuff, characters, figurines. I, I talked to a guy who's raised millions of dollars. I actually went to a little board game conference at his house. It was kind of fun. They, they put together this little thing and we played a bunch of board games. These guys are like professional board gamers. I mean, it was an incredible experience. I'm more on the, you know, I play chess a lot, but then mainly I'm, I'm other sports like basketball, soccer, tennis, pickleball, spike ball, things like that. And so going to play board games was actually exhilarating. It was a lot of fun to play with these guys for five or six hours because they, they knew everything about board gaming. I mean, they were talking like strategy and monopoly kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, long story short, I was talking to this guy and he said, yeah, you can't be a board game company if you're not on Kickstarter anymore. And that was not even a thing five years ago. So now if you're a board game company and you're not on Kickstarter, you pretty much cannot make it. That's how much Kickstarter has influenced board gaming at large. And I think it's been a relatively a good thing from what I understood from him. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I think when it launched, as you said, any gadget, anything innovative, but copycats were there, supply chain issues. Yep. It's interesting how something that stood the test of time, or, or maybe it's the novelty of the board games, but it, it does make sense. There's a community. There, there's almost an equivalent number of backer Kickstarter communities as there are Reddit communities, it would seem. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. It's crazy. But, like, is there a geography that in, in some reasoning that, like, let's talk about the backers in 2022. Okay, sure. They like yeah. games. Um, I always thought that people want to see companies, uh, their ideas come to fruition. So they back it. They get a deal. They get a discount. They, they test products sometimes, maybe early. Yeah. Maybe it's the first iteration. Uh-huh. Is that still hold true? Or, or another way of saying this, like what, which kind of products uh, are not working on Kickstarter that used to work on Kickstarter that our listeners need to know? Yeah, that's a good question. The the ones that work the best still are definitely board gamings and techie. I talk about ubiquity plus something unique leads to huge chance for success. And so, you know, smart luggage is an easy one to talk or, you know, a smart watch is easy to talk about. If you look at Pebble, it was the first smart watch before Apple watches and Samsung watches and all the smart watches were a thing, but it's a watch. Everybody likes to tell time. They need to know the time. And so a, a watch is ubiquitous. That's what that word means, essentially. But how did they make it smart? Well, they made it so it could do things that smart things could do. You could look at your text messages. You could check your heart rate. You can do all these other things, right? And so those types of products are still the best. That, that's what you want to be able to do. You want to take something that's ubiquitous, and then you want to make it unique. But the problem is a lot of people iterated too much on that. And, you know, you get like these smart scales that can do 500 metrics for your body. I, I have one, and I'm like, how much did I weigh today? <laughs> it gets a little overkill sometimes, too, you know, with all the different iterations and stuff and you got to focus on what what's really going to matter i like my smart i like my smart watch most for the pedometer feature i like to be able to you know and to check my heart rate and i like that it's monitoring my sleep those three things are awesome 
And so when you're iterating on a ubiquitous item, don't iterate to create 500 things that no one's ever going to check. It's got to be meaningful in their life now. I think that's the new word I would add in. How do you create meaning behind it? So it's not just a bunch of tech jumble, mumbo jumble that's being harvested for data and sold to big companies or something, right? It's got to mean something to me. I like to see if I can get 10,000 steps a day. And if my heart rate stays this after a soccer game and it's this resting and how did I sleep? What matters in that sense is how you should go about it. And then in terms of what's not working, I'd say books aren't working nearly as well as they used to. Not that they worked amazing, but it just seems harder and harder to raise money for books. Um, different indie type projects are a little bit harder to, to raise money for. Um, well, why do you think category like that books, is it that different than board games? And if they, they're using the messaging and making it meaningful and all of these insightful things, why books? Like what, I'm just trying to get my head around of the trends for the hot sectors or the yeah. not so hot sectors. It, it, could, follow- it could be a chicken or the egg thing too. A lot yeah. of people used to run books and they'd raise money on there and then they raised whatever they did and then they never went back. And so if you never go back, you eventually lose the backers because they're not paying attention to it either. I think you could say something similarly for like Hollywood and movies. You actually had some pretty cool things on there. Um, trying to think. Bridget Jones diary is that that, that doesn't sound right so that's right, right. it, it was I, I don't know which one it was but there's a couple of projects like that that are actually big names and they started out as kickstarter projects you don't see that anymore you don't see like Russell Crowe getting on there saying hey help me fund this new movie right you, you saw that a little bit with kickstarter but you don't see that as much anymore so again the backers that got excited about that aren't there anymore the influencers well yeah yeah you don't see as much influencer marketing I would say maybe that's different too in influencer marketing people have kind of caught on to that Oh, you've got a million Instagram followers. Are they real? Are they fake? Are they, if I pay you 50,000 bucks, did I actually get $50,000 in return? I think metrics, just like I, I actually, I kind of, I kind of said this was going to happen and, and it, it, and it has to some extent. Just because you have a million followers on Instagram doesn't mean someone's going to give you $50,000 now. People are more savvy and they understand that they'll, they'll look at your last 10 posts and they'll be like, wait, why does he only have a hundred likes on his last 10 posts if he's got a million followers or, and Instagram's changed their algorithm too. So some of these people that do have a million plus followers on Instagram, um, just like Facebook did, they've pretty much restricted the organic reach. And by restricting the organic reach, influencers don't have nearly as much power and they have to be like everybody else and they have to rely on ads and ads costs have gone up mm. and that makes it more expensive. And so, so those if, things have impacted as well. So if influencer marketing and the shifts in, in sort of Facebook marketing and awareness, and everybody knows what rewards-based crowdfunding is about. I mean, how should entrepreneurs looking to raise some capital for XYZ business approach and use uh, crowdfunding the best, to take the best from it? What what are their strategies? Because it's obviously a stepping stone to early capital that can be built upon. And I think it's still true that you can connect with a wide variety of stakeholders that can bring you know, more than just capital, they're not just backers, they're, they're still ambassadors, and all of those good things, like, maybe we'll ask a question in, in this way, you know, what, what are some of the things that um, entrepreneurs looking to use rewards-based crowdfunding need to know or underestimate, or they, they haven't thought about that they should know, in context of, is it right for me, and, and how can I do this, and maybe also touch upon, and this is like a multi-pronged question for sure, um, the DIY approach versus working with a company like Funded Today? Great question. And let me couch my last thought on influencers as well with, with one point. I, I think about this because I, I was reading something just a, a little bit before our podcast interview. 
Craig and it, uh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk tweeted about allowing merchandise to be bought by Dogecoin, which is or Dogecoin, Dogecoin, however you want to call it. Um, it's basically a, a cryptocurrency meme coin or something that's that's taken off over the last couple of years. It went up 18% with one tweet from him. And so if you are the right influencer, like Elon Musk, you can influence billion-dollar markets incredibly well. And so influencer marketing works. You just have to be way more selective in terms of who you're reaching out to. Like if you can get Elon Musk to say something positive about your company, yeah, you're going to make tens of millions of dollars probably with one tweet. It's that crazy. So anyway, now as far as uh, as as far as uh, your question in terms of how can we make crowdfunding successful today? Number one, crowdfunding still is really good for validation. We call it the due diligence and product validation period. You can come, you can come to us with an idea, and we can tell you in. 30 to 60 days or less after, you know, you, you spend a couple thousand dollars kind of thing. Where, where else can you spend $3,000 and in 30 to 60 days know whether you've got a million dollar business or whether you need to fix some things? That's the most powerful thing for crowdfunding, in my opinion. It's not, and it never really has been, even though it's exciting to talk about how much money we've raised. It's not really about how much money you raise on, on the platform. It's about what you learn from the money that you've raised. Even these multi-million dollar projects we worked with pivoted, changed, and adapted and adapted, at least the ones that are still around and are very successful, and created new products and iterated and talked to their customers. And that's the powerful part about crowdfunding. You reach out to your customers. Let's say you raise $100,000, like the Roos Fork did, $115,000. Hey, what did you like about this? What did you not like? And what and what did they do? And they've changed. And the Roos Fork's still around. I just got an email from them yesterday that they were at the Disney World Marathon, and they were wishing everybody Happy New Year. So it's, it's still a very successful company that's running today. And why? Because they talked to their customers. They iterated. I mean, they're at Disney and they've got the Minnie and Mickey Mouse version of their, of their Roo Sport, right? That, that's a simple little pivot that they made that allowed them to get even bigger than they were when they first crowdfunded. And so iterating, talking to your customers, gathering that feedback. Now, let's say you fell. Let's say you run a project and you needed to raise $100,000 and you only raised $10,000. Well, you reach out to that group of $10,000 and you say, hey, why did you back my project? And then you figure out why they liked it. And then you look at your messaging and figure out how everybody else didn't realize that's what you were saying. And then you tweak it and then you launch again. Or if you raise no money, then you figure out, well, that must not have been something anybody liked. And then you launch a new idea. And that's the power of crowdfunding. For a couple thousand bucks, 10 times over, you're $20,000 out and you finally have a winner. I I think that's what's exciting about crowdfunding. Where else can you iterate and pivot and change and get that immediate customer feedback before you really spend any money? And then if you do raise tons of money, now you have all this money that you can use to bring your product to life because you didn't have to buy any product before you began, which is also exciting. And that, to me, is still why crowdfunding has a huge place in the entrepreneurial journey. You know, GoFundMe. Yeah, um, for sure. You, you, you never talk about them. I know you're working sort of exclusively with Kickstarter and Indiegogo, yep. but I, I understood that GoFundMe uh, grew very rapidly. I guess it's out of California. They've got mm-hmm. a, a, an army of marketers. Yep. What, compare and contrast that with like a Kickstarter in, yeah. in the communities. Great, great question. GoFundMe. And last I checked, and it's probably still the case, they're the behemoth in the in the world. And it's not rewards-based crowdfunding, though. As far as I know with GoFundMe, you give money to somebody who's asking for it just because you want to. Hey, I've got cancer. Please or help. What I normally find is – and in fact, I, I can give you a good example. I had a friend of mine. He uh, fell off a roof, and he and he died. And this this was over the last couple of days. And he donated all of his organs and everything to um, charity. And he, when he died, when they, when they took him off life support, he only had like 20 minutes or 13 minutes, some crazy amount of time to make it happen or whatever. Anyway, 
some of his friends and family put together different GoFundMe links for him. And I, last I checked, I think they'd raised like $57,000 to cover his funeral costs and all these other things because they kind of told the hero story of this guy who was a really good dude who gave all of his organs away. And let's, let's help him out so that he doesn't have any, so that his family and his friends are, don't have any, any trouble with that. That's how I see the appeal of a GoFundMe. It's the emotional appeal. And you can get that in crowdfunding as well. But when you're like, hey, help me bring this amazing wallet to life that I thought of, doesn't have the same sense of this guy donated his uh, organs to charity because he died falling off a roof while he was working. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, one is donation, right? Yeah. That's a, that's a true yep. cause-based crowdfunding. And rewards yep. is the more the entrepreneurial. They're, they're trying to, to build a business. And, that cause know, has that virality factor. Look, I'm telling you about this on the podcast. I saw it before you from 50 other people that had shared it. You're not going to get that with a wallet like unless you tell a really good story, unless you really make that emotional appeal incredible, which you should do. You absolutely should try to integrate those cause-based notions into your own Kickstarter or Indiegogo project, but it's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why GoFundMe is the behemoth as far as crowdfunding goes. What, what, what is corporate crowdfunding still happening? Let's take a Canadian brand, like a Canadian tire. Okay. Um, they want to see, they, they need products for their shelves uh-huh. and they want to know if a product, whether it's sourced from Amazon or a crowdfunding market is going to be successful or not. So they do a crowdfund, they validate, they test. It's, it's, it's a great use case for crowdfunding. Uh-huh. And then they have an agreement and they say, listen, we'll buy a whole container, stocker shelves, and you get your money. And we, we did it through corporate crowdfunding. Okay. Do you see much of any of that going on? You know, I see, I see people who reach out to us who have products that would go into like a Canadian tire type place who raise money on crowdfunding. And then they're like, look, we raised $250,000 in the last 30 days on crowdfunding. And then they get on um, Shark Tank or what's the Canadian one called? Dun- Dragon, Dragon yeah, Dragon's Den. Den. Yeah. Dragon's Den, yeah. They get on shows like that. And then that leads to opportunities across there. I haven't, I, I, I actually, I've, I've seen Samsung. Samsung has actually run projects themselves on crowdfunding platforms, specifically Indiegogo generally. And then they determine how those perform. And then they use those metrics to determine whether or not how they, if they want to scale or build out on that. But most of the time, it's people like you and I who come up with a good idea. We run it on a, crowd, a rewards-based crowdfunding platform. And then we take that success story with us and create press pitches for all the places that we want to get it as far as retail goes. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's true to the cause, the, the origin, the, the, the genesis of crowdfunding, rewards-based crowdfunding, I think. Uh-huh. Is a way sure. to see it. What, what, are, what are some of the most memorable or strange campaigns you've worked on in the last couple of years or, or not worked on? You've seen them and it's your life. Okay. This? And how much <laughs> are they raising? Like I, I, I want to, you know, cover some different ground here in this podcast. Okay. Uh, one, one, it's a good question. And, and I, and I'm trying to think right now to see, I remember, I remember somebody ran a project for a pickle. Let me, let me see what it was about. Pickle Kickstarter. What wasn't it the the potato salad? I know that was crazy. Potato salad was memorable for sure. Yeah. Ah, oh, what was the pickle one? I think it was something like the, the potato salad one is a great one too. It was kind of that was early on in crowdfunding. That was so. Why was eight, that eight so years successful? ago? Yeah. He basically wanted to make the most amazing potato salad recipe. And again, I could be getting this 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 thing wrong, but and he said give me give me money and i'll make you i'll test them out i'll taste them all i'll make the best one ever and you'll have the best recipe in the world when i'm done or something like that and everybody thought that's cool he's crowdsourcing the best possible potato salad recipe which isn't a bad idea for a lot of things like how often have you been on facebook and said what's the best this you know that's kind of what he did and he and he made money on it believe it or not 
I, I'm trying to think of the pickle one, but you know, it comes to mind for some reason he was like selling different pickles or something, but what's it called? The, I don't know. Well, look at the NFT space. They're selling JPEGs. And I know there's a lot more that's going to happen with, with non-fungible tokens, these NFTs, but they, they're getting a lot of money raised for some weird things like, you know, the ape NFTs and, and others, but um, sticking on the crowdfunding, like the, I have a good idea let here let let's um try to have a fictitious company and walk us through your approach of some of the things and advice that th- they might have to consider for for crowdfunding okay. so uh I'm just gonna come up with like a a pet app like a dog or cat app call it a dog okay. pet app and that okay. provides health advice and connects these pet owners to vets and they need some capital they want to raise money. Um, would you say crowdfunding is right for them? What would you say to them? Okay. Yeah. So the first thing I would say, and we talked about this earlier, what things are doing well, what things are not doing well. The first thing is apps generally do not do very well on Kickstarter, but they do really well if you pair them with hardware. So the first thing I'd say with this particular product is how can we create a hardware item? And I, and I've got just the idea. It's something that they wear around their leash that does something as far as dog care goes my my brother actually has something for this with his golden doodle it like tracks all the steps the dog takes and the dog takes like fifty thousand steps a day it's just crazy like how much dogs are moving around especially his dog i guess it's got a good backyard to plan but we we do something to pair a hardware item for the pet with this particular app that's the first thing that we do next thing that we do is we design a video and a page and again when we talk about hardware and we talk about apps what is going to make this hardware and this app really great you know, if we connect, if it, if it connects them to online vets when they have problems, then let's hope it's measuring some sort of vitals. So, what can we measure on dogs as far as vitals go? Maybe it, maybe it can do something with, I don't know, taking pictures. Maybe it's doing something like that. I don't know. You'd have to get creative here. Uh, maybe it's doing heart rate. Maybe it's checking for certain th- signs of a healthy dog and, and what makes it good. Maybe it can somehow track the fur of a dog or something, or maybe it notifies you, you know, when you need it, when you do something like that, I don't know all the different things. Like the, the crazy stuff that's happening as far as the smartwatch that I wear is, is even, it's like, how's it doing a lot of this stuff? And it, apparently it's pretty accurate. I, I take it to my doctor when I go in and he said, he but doesn't even have to do anything. Cause I just send him the data from my app and he's like, okay, let me just confirm. And he confirms, Oh yeah, everything's right. <laughs> so <laughs> I think doing that is kind of cool too. Maybe, it, maybe it saves on medical bills. I just had to pay 300 bucks for my dog because she had something wrong with her on, on something, and it would have been nice if somehow we caught that proactively, and it sounded like we could have. So if an app can do something like that combined with some hardware element that is communicating with the app, that, that's the best way to make it happen. And then all you do is you make an amazing video, you make an amazing page, meaning all the design and the ad copy, and you appeal emotionally, which is easy to do with dogs. I, I love my dog. Most dog owners do, and I, I was not a dog person at all before I – it's been two or three years now since I've had a dog in my whole life. I was like, I'm never getting a dog. It's a pain in the butt. It's, it's hard. It's still, it, yeah, it is for the most part. I have a pretty good dog still, but you got to go on a walk every day. Well, it's good mm-hmm. to go on a walk every day because now you can, now you can walk your dog. Maybe that's what it does. Maybe the, now, I mean, as I continue to talk through this, you can kind of see how my mind works. So it's a great question. I, I appreciate you asking this one, but okay. The app says, Hey, what are you doing, man? Your dog hasn't walked in two days. It's a really good app. <laughs> like your dog needs to get out and walk. And so do you, buddy, you're getting fat. <laughs> like, that's a really good thing, right? That could be a very good app. I, this might be an idea here. So somebody, somebody steal it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna patent. Well, it, but... if you know someone with that hardware, <laughs> I know someone with that pet app. We could connect the two. <laughs> <laughs> it could honestly be really good. My wife's always like, "Crap, Ari hasn't had a walk in three or four days because it's cold here in Utah now too. So you don't want to go outside that much." 
but so, you're, you should walk your dog. So maybe that's what it does. Maybe it's a really simple thing. Just like your like my watch actually right now, just a second ago, it said, hey, get up and moving. You've sat around for whatever, right? The, the app could shoot you a push notification and say, look, your dog hasn't walked. Go take her on a walk. What we really that, might be to- en- that might be enough. That literally would be enough to probably sell millions of copies of this thing. If, if the price was right, if the emotional pill was good, and, and all those things are like good nowadays. Everybody wants to get healthier. You've got COVID, and so everybody's thinking about what they can do to protect themselves. Well, getting outside and walking is a dang good way to take care of yourself, right? They even say if you get coronavirus, you shouldn't be laying down as much because that's how the pneumonia can happen. So, hey, look, now I'm making the emotional appeal. I mean, we, we've almost got this thing done, Craig. You, you, start, you, let's start a project. <laughs> let, let's do it. And how much are we raising if we do this? And, how, and, and here's another question. I always like to try to raise millions. <laughs> how much is this stuff? Yeah, other, if you only raise 100000 it's not moving the needle when you've raised $426 million and you're almost half a billion. How much of this stuff has to be real? Like, I've built the app. I've yeah. covered those co- versus, I don't want to say vaporware, but yeah. – you For know, sure. the intentions are good. I'm getting into yeah. the, like back of a napkin versus it's here. Yep. Great Come question. On. Cause then you're talking about cost too. It's like, well, this would be awesome, but I don't have 250,000 bucks to make whatever it is. Right. It's probably not that expensive. Cause there's so much tech. The, the good part is there's a great book called good artist, still great artist copy. Everybody should read it and listen to it. Essentially you could probably take a lot of this technology. It's probably available on Android or something. And, and, and that's allowed to use and maybe get this thing most of the way there without really having to spend too much money. But Kickstarter is pretty strict with prototypes. You got to kind of show them that it does something specifically. Indiegogo has a cool little button on theirs that says, hey, this is an idea on the back of a napkin. And mm-hmm. I like that. I wish Kickstarter would do that too. And you can choose different options within Indiegogo depending on what your product is. And so you're not misleading your customers. If we came out and said, hey, this thing already works, it's ready to go. And then we take two years to send it to them. We told them we were going to take three months. That's one of the reasons why Kickstarter has, and not Kickstarter specifically, but why Kickstarter's brand has been tarnished a little bit in, in some sense, and Indiegogo's as well. That's why Indiegogo made this pivot is because people were told they were going to get a product in three months, and two years later, they still haven't got anything, or it's not what they said it was. So great question, and it's absolutely something you need to do, but I wish they just had a button, and I wish backers could look at that button and say, oh, okay, do I want to support this thing? It sounds really awesome. It looks like the likelihood of it happening is 50%. Sure, let me throw 100 bucks at it. Right. The, the probability of, yeah, you know, exactly. operationalizing to a real, you know, brick and mortar, not, not a brick and mortar business could fully be a digital business, but it's not vaporware. Yep. Well, yep, I, exactly. This, this is amazing with the, the this. Pro, I've, I've got another one for you. I had a call. OK, um, it's a U.S. company. They are doing retrofitting of uh, commercial buildings. This is all in the, the clean tech space. An okay. example of a retrofitting is as simple as they're using incandescent light bulbs. We can just switch mm. over to LEDs and it's ADAC saved. And mm. there's lots of buildings and they also run programs. They get into surely the back systems of a commercial building. And apparently the U.S. is several years ahead. This is all in the carbon capture, carbon abatement uh-huh. area. But okay. Canada just hasn't got their stuff together. So there's a group okay. interested. Uh, they mentioned crowdfunding. They reached out to me. We had some good uh, initial call, um, but I, I, what, what is your thought process to, you know, let's do a crowdfunding to raise awareness because ultimately consumers and others that are involved with this, not just building managers. I think yeah. if, if you're living in a condo, you can go to your building manager and say, we should be doing this because uh, we're not doing our part. And, and it's, it's, this is the sustainability area as well. 
If so, it was an awareness campaign, are we hoping to raise money here or just spread the word and get a lot of people talking about this? Well, we're, we're, we're there to raise money and okay. then grow that uh, need into a much bigger project. And maybe the government, maybe a larger private equity sort of institutional firm can get there and say, listen, we've got like the numbers stack up, the unit metrics, okay. but there, there's 10,000 buildings. Okay. Uh, if we got half of them. And okay. we retrofitted them. Here's the numbers. And and are we raising money for this particular company that does the retrofitting? We're well. That's a good question. Maybe okay. some of the savings go to the consumers. Maybe okay. some some of the savings goes to reduce condo fees because the the property manager realizes that we've got a you know a better long term sustainable plan for retrofitting their building. And, in this and, in this case, since the market has been defined as ten thousand, I did like how you said consumers and property owners could make money from it. That could be a crowdfunding element because we got to think of what reward we're giving because this isn't GoFundMe. This is Kickstarter or Indiegogo. And so the reward could be if you join early, you're going to get this savings versus once we raise all this money, you're not going to get the savings. So act now and get the savings forever kind of thing. Be, be one of our early adopters. However, I would maybe hurt myself and I would say, why don't we just reach out to these 10,000 buildings and build this amazing PR campaign for them and get all their names, emails, phone numbers, addresses, whatever, and, and build this whole targeted email personal campaign to all of them and just see how many we can get interested in this sort of thing and just reach out to them directly. Now we could do that through crowdfunding too, because if we have data on them or if we can gather that data, then we can build targeted Facebook ads specifically to that particular subset of people. And if I can get all their names, emails, phone numbers, addresses, I could literally target just those 10,000 people and hit them up hundreds of times with all kinds of different messaging. And I may not even need crowdfunding to do something like that. I could arrange in-person meetings where I have salesmen and people come in and close. But I would probably approach something like that in that in that regard, maybe. Yeah, well, they, like one of the ideas was we we have uh, Home Depot. It's like, it's like a okay. home hardware type store. But you you know you get some volunteers, you have them uh-huh. spread the word, the awareness cause, yep. and, and they do this with um, refrigerators that are old cars or you know take them off the road, join this program, get a replacement for free, and and there's a savings, there's a benefit, it's good for everybody. Sort of like a win win if it, if it's if it's done properly, but. You know, I'm just picking your brain, you know, this, this, yeah. is, uh, this is the time to do it, but it's, it's very interesting. You know, yeah. at, at the end of the day, in 2022, what do you think is the main difference between uh, a successful campaign and an unsuccessful one? And I want you to yeah. address the question of a DIY approach versus okay. working with a company like Funded Today, because obviously you guys know your stuff. It must come with a cost but you're using more money than they can ever do themselves, no doubt. So what do you think? I'll hurt myself again, and I'll say as much as possible, if you're looking to save money, raise as much money as you possibly can on your own. Find someone at your local school, if you're in high school, your high school or college, who can make a video for you. Find someone who's going into design that can design a page for you. You can look at every single case study funded today's done. They're on our website. If you want to see all the $426 million we've raised, just go to our website, funded.today. And then click on the, I'll tell you exactly what button is. Let me just look it up right now. Click on the get more pledges, learn more. It's a blue button. And then scroll down midway on that page. And you can start seeing every project we've worked with. And you can click on those projects, look at the video, look at the page, and then tell your people exactly what they need to do by analyzing all those and and then launch your project. The other thing you can do is read my book. It's only like 10 bucks or something. And you can listen to my podcast. I've got 40 free episodes. If you did all of that and then launched your project, you're well on your way. And now here's the best part. And this is where I come back in. Hire funded today after you've raised all the money that you can. Now, conversely, 
you can hire us for all of these things up front, you know, call us three to six months before you plan on launching. We'll make you a video. We'll design you a page. We'll do everything that I teach in my podcast. We'll do everything that I teach in my book. And we'll make you, we'll, we'll give you the very best chance to succeed without you having to do all of that legwork yourself. So it's just an opportunity cost trade-off. I love it. Well, I, I think uh, our, our listeners have, have learned a ton here. We're going to move to perhaps one of my favorite uh, parts of the show. It's, it's these rapid fire questions where we're going to fire out a quick question expecting, uh, you know, a quick, quick top off the head response. You, okay. you ready for something like that? Yeah, let's see what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's the one thing that you would chalk up funded today's success to? Hmm. Good question. I read something recently from SAS Nassim Tlaib, and he says there are two great addictions, heroin and a monthly salary. So how does that answer that question? In my opinion, it answers the question because we were 100% operating on performance. When the Roosport reached out to me, I made no money if I didn't raise them any money. And so because we were entirely motivated by performance, we were able to get very creative to try to raise as much money for our clients because the more money we raised for them, the more money we raised for ourselves. And I I had a joke that I said years ago, and I I guess it's still appropriate today. I make more money from broke, poor, starving student entrepreneurs than anybody else in the world. How? Because I only get paid when they get paid. And once they get their check from Kickstarter, they write me a check. And so I'd say maybe it's that. And then the other thing is, if I had to say one more thing, it's pivoting. Every single time throughout my life that I've had successful businesses, even with what I believe are going to be some successful businesses with those 17 companies that I own now, in addition to Funded Today, it's been pivoting. With Funded Today, what did I do? I was doing e-commerce and email marketing, and I pivoted into crowdfunding and took those same things into this new industry. Where can you take those same things that are working in whatever business you have now and be thinking two to three years ahead? So that when whatever you're doing now stops working or doesn't work as well, you can go on to the next thing. And I've done this with Funded Today multiple times, even during the coronavirus when everything else was really, really struggling and things were shut down and things were bad. We integrated email marketing in a way that hadn't ever been done before. And we have the biggest, most successful newsletter and email list in all of crowdfunding. And we raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes five, six hundred thousand dollars a month from that newsletter alone, which is huge. That wasn't a rapid response. <laughs> no, no, I'm just sorry about that. <laughs> I thought joking. if I talk really fast, it still counts I, I, as rapid. I'm joking. I'm joking. And it, 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 I've come up with a follow-up, actually. Like the, All right. the, the million-dollar question is like, well, if Pivot's such an interesting thing, and then everybody's got to be in the edge of the seat for this one, what do you – and you've been in crowdfunding space for a long time, and you went from yep. email marketing to crowdfunding, and the, the industry is maturing, if not matured. And so sure. what might the next Pivot be? Mm. Because people want to join you. In crowdfunding <laughs> or just in well, my no. life? You're okay, like, okay you, good. Oh, well, pivot. You well, I've given, a, pivot. I've given a few away, and I hate to act like a prophet or something because I'm never – then I look really stupid. But again, if you don't like – if you don't own up to what you say, then you're not really committal anyway, you know? So let me let me make some predictions, I guess. I'll do a Gary Vaynerchuk thing. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It, it. My predictions are uh, self uh, – what is that? What is that word? Selfish, selfish in a way. I, yeah, I, I, self-fulfilling. Sure. I mean, <laughs> I, I'd like some of them to come true. I'd love to see real estate continue to do well because I'm heavily invested in real estate, especially single family homes, particularly in areas that are a little bit lower priced. So I'm early there. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that trends continue where people moved west from New York and California because they make so much money there and they they can get a three thousand square foot house in America where I live for five, $600,000. And it would be like $4 million in California for that same type of thing. And so 
they'll pay my prices, which are amazing for me, and they'll think they're getting a still of a deal, which maybe they are. Not necessarily now, but maybe 10 years from now, when Utah continues to grow and expand the way it has, Utah was number 10 in the nation, or, or top 10, I think like three or four in the nation last year as far as job growth goes. If those things continue, I feel like real estate has huge potential in Utah. The other reason I love Utah is because of our mountainous landscape. It's hard to build. You can't go build 10,000 homes in Utah in a year, no matter who you are, because it takes excavation, it takes rock work, it takes rock crushing, it takes all these other things that make it a little harder to jump into. And it's kind of capital intensive. And so somebody like me, who has millions of dollars of play and leverage to credit and different lenders and different things, I can take advantage of that where maybe a, a, a someone who's a little bit more younger can't just jump into the way that I did. And so I like real estate a lot. And the, the other thing I like is I like gold and silver. I feel like gold and silver has potential. I feel like with the, what was it? Uh, was it JP Morgan or no, it was Goldman Sachs or geez, I can't, I can't remember who it was, but there was this big lawsuit a year ago, year ago, year and a half ago, where they were basically artificially holding down the price of silver. And that's been revealed and things like that. Well, that should allow the price to actually reflect what it needs to be. And if that's the case, not only do I sell gold and silver, but I'm also buying up my inventory supplies. It should it should increase in value. And then everybody probably wants to know my opinion on Bitcoin. And I don't want to piss off so many people since it's such a hot topic. I don't see the use cases yet. As much as like Bitcoin specifically, Dogecoin, all the, and again, that's not to say I'm not invested in it. I am. I'm, I'm invested in Bitcoin. I've got, I've got different holdings and a lot of those different types of things. I do think blockchain, blockchain technology is here to stay. I just don't know if what everybody's doing right now, what everybody's doing right now seems like get rich quick schemes. And believe me, I even have like fear of missing out. I will tell you one thing. I've never had fear of missing out. I've never felt like I didn't execute strong enough. Any of my businesses, I've never been like, man, I wish I would have done more funded today in 2017 and 18. I haven't felt that way because I felt like I did as much as I could have done. I made as much money as I possibly could have. I helped as many clients as I could have. With Bitcoin and some of those others, I'm like, oh, I knew about that 17 years ago or something. I, I did, whatever it was. Like I remember, I remember a guy who worked for one of my earlier companies, and he was telling me about Bitcoin. His, his name was uh, Ramin, Ramin Gilbert. And he's like, hey, you should get into some Bitcoin or something. You know? And it was back when it was a couple of pennies. And now, what is it, $40,000, $50,000? So do I have regrets on that? In a way, but I also am still thinking it's so speculative that why is it actually worth money until someone can and, and, and believe me, I'm not just saying this like I'm naive. I probably know more about Bitcoin and blockchain and all that than most of you listening to this. So don't think I'm just some idiot who's like hiding behind my screen here and hasn't studied it all. I, I have. I've read thousands of things on it. I've read the white papers. I've looked at all and I and I have money in it, but I have money that I can afford to lose. And that's the difference. I believe on things like this that are speculative, that are changing 15 to 20% every day, you probably should only put in money that you can afford to lose. And that's what I've done. And it's significant for me, but I don't necessarily believe in it. Well, there's no question it's a risky asset, uh, but trying to stay to these rapid fire questions, sure. uh, I, I, this is a whole nother episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll be quick. <laughs> as, as a serial entrepreneur, one piece of advice you'd give to a budding entrepreneur? Fell fast. Really simple. Fast. Fell fast. Like it's okay to lose. You're, you're, you're young. If you're a serial entrepreneur and you're young, if you're calling yourself, a serial, if you're young, fell fast, like you probably don't have that much money. If you lose it all, who cares? You're probably getting supported by your parents. Awesome. Take advantage of that time. When you get older, like me or Craig, or we have family and kids to support, it's scarier to take big risks. Elon Musk told a story where he was bankrupt, where he was two weeks from bankrupt in both of his businesses in, in uh, Tesla and um, SpaceX. That's a crazy risk to take. And he had like, he was going to lose all of his PayPal money. That's how much of risk he took. I, I wouldn't dare to do what he did there. So do it while you're young, take these big risks. And then once you've been successful, take some of that risk off the table and, in, and diversify and invest in other things. 
Love it. What, here, here's the next question. If you had one wish, what would it be? Uh, it, it's kind of trite, but I think it would be great to have joy, like pure, utter bliss and happiness. And not just like momentary, because I believe we all have momentary fleeting moments of that type of thing, but it would be great to just have peace of mind and confidence and, and no worries and no risk and just joy for a really long period of time. Like just to be very joyful, not, not all the time. Cause I believe you need that holistically harmonized aspect to understand how good it is to feel joyful, but most of the time, 90, 95% of the time, it'd be great to just be joyful. Do you meditate? Yeah, I do. Not, not as well as I should though. That that's it. Just being in the zone, yeah. <laughs> you know, letting some of it go existing yeah. for, for just, so, absolutely. Uh, and what's your sure. favorite movie or book? Hmm. Gosh, you know, I, I like stoicism quite a bit. And it, it kind of goes to that joy thing too, because it helps you get, get rid of a lot of the worrying. So I, I like Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I was, I was a big, I'm a big fan of autobiographies too, though. I like, I like Steve Jobs. I like Shoe Dog. I like Washington Alive. If you go back to like some of the early founders of America, things like that are, are pretty cool. Favorite yeah. movie? Huh. Jeez. I, I saw Dear Evan Hansen recently and I really liked it. I, that, that's apparently polarizing, but it was the only, I, I cried. I, I watched it last year and I, I cried. I, I never do that in movies. It was a great movie. But, you know, classics like Shawshank Redemption, probably remember the Titans if you're looking for just an ultimate feel good. We can do it. We're the underdogs and just kind of blending in a lot of the different things that are still really important to fix in our countries nowadays, too. Remember the Titans tackles a lot of that. So probably stuff like that. Well, there you have it. Stuff that you, but if 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 you with Omicron here, if if you yeah. could do do you get away? Do you get any holidays? Like, would you go somewhere? Where would you go? Not as much. I've kind, not as much. I've kind of been keeping it pretty close to home the last couple of years, just because again, I I kind of don't want to piss anybody off too. So I'm trying to just stay within my own thing and do my own thing. But yeah, we we get I I get outside. I go walking a lot. I go into the mountains. Utah's nice for that kind of thing. So you can kind of get away and not be around a lot of people still, and and that's been working pretty good. Perfect. And last, last question. When the hell are you going to be back up to Canada? So you uh, funded today and see if they can do a roadshow. We need to, we need to make that happen. As soon as, as soon as it's clear and people feel good about coronavirus and some of those different roadblocks, well, let's get it on the calendar and make it happen. I, I love going up there and it's, man, how's long? I mean, 2017 is probably the last time I did go up there. So let's it, do it'd be awesome to get back some of that there. real estate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's do we, it. <laughs> that's what we need to do. Well, we need to talk about that. I heard Canada's hotter than America, even as far as real estate goes. So. It, it is bonkers. It is bonkers. But maybe, you know, there's a good story there. We can help first time home buyers get access and, mm. and figure out for, for them and others how it could work. So it's a win for everybody. But that's the um, play, by the way, Craig, you asked what the play was. I should have brought that up. If you can find a way <laughs> to like get first time home buyers to qualify for homes because they're getting priced out. Even in Utah, probably only 20 to 30 percent of people can afford the median price of home right now. That's worrisome. That's scary. Yet the problem is you can't really reduce your costs that much. So if anybody can innovate or figure that out, whether it's tiny houses or some townhome type of setup, you can make millions of dollars and actually help a lot of people. Well, that's that's what we're thinking uh, in, in the in the crowdfund real estate um, context. So something we could take offline. But really, I, I want to thank you uh, a ton, Zach. It's all, it's been an absolute blast. Uh, the the last 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 question, I guess, is how can anyone get in touch with you if they have questions, they want to connect with you, they want to learn more, and they just can't wait till you come up to Canada next. What how do they how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can get me on any of the social platforms. Most of the time, I'm Real Zach Smith or the Real Zach Smith, but on most of them, I'm just Real Zach Smith, R E A L Z A C H Smith. Get me an email, Zach at funded today, Z A C H at funded today. Um, all my websites, funded today. If you want to see a list of all my companies. 
agilehg.com. That's Agile Holding Group, agilehg.com. You can look at everything I got going on and see if any of those interest you. We always have job openings. We always have internships. So hit me up. We'd love to help you. If you got a great idea, Funded Today is where you want to start. Well, there you go, guys. And ladies and gentlemen, Zach Smith, CEO and co-founder of Funded Today, has successfully raised $426 million in counting. And we're going to have you back when you hit uh, half a billion. Sounds like a plan. Unless the real estate idea just catapults us to billion, right? Um, For sure. (laughs) So that that was uh, incredible. Thanks for sharing your time and expertise. Uh, I had a ton of... uh, you know, laughs here. So we, we will see you soon, Zach. And thanks so much for joining. Likewise. Thanks again for having me. So if you're new to FinTech Fridays, please check out some of the incredible past episodes on the site. I think you'll be surprised what you find. We look forward to seeing you next Friday for another episode of FinTech Fridays. Have a great weekend, everyone. You've been listening to FinTech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest FinTech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment FinTech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org.